0: Yeah, so J-Law liked the page. J-Law. Yeah. You know, I've got a personally signed poster from her somewhere in my office.
1: Um, I've seen that, and I've seen – we had one over at Hoyt. Maybe that was yours. Maybe you still left
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you say
1: somewhere in your office. Well. Because our offices aren't that big.
0: No, they're not, but <laughs> – There's a lot of stuff in our offices. There's a lot of offices. stuff. Hi, I'm George Tekmachev with Steve the – World champion. Big Cat Anderson.
1: My brother asked me to do that. Okay. I had to go there. Well, there you go. He wanted to see if you would stumble, but no, you got I'm, right into it. I'm a it. professional.
0: <laughs> Except, I got to say, you know, I just got back from Japan.
1: Oh, yeah. And, tell this story.
0: Oh, geez. I don't know if I want to tell this story, but I will. Because after all, uh, the few thousand podcast listeners we have is nothing compared to the million or so people in Japan that saw me screw up. So, <laughs> 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 all right. Long story short, I went to nationals. They asked me to... uh to announce at the finals and you know they're there it's 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 being broadcast it's know? on
1: it's on japanese sports channels and something stuff. like that
0: right so they're doing a video by the way for the tokyo 2020 organizers right so that's that's the big deal is there's a guy mm-hmm. there's a whole v- video team there and they're anyways long story short you know i've been announcing archery tournaments i've done six olympic games you know since like 1991 i've been announcing tournaments and i've never made a major screw-up some people may dispute that but generally <laughs> generally i've never had a major screw up. Uh, a major screw up yeah. yeah so in japan they do something different than they do here right or anywhere else um but you know you're not supposed to announce who won when the last arrow shot you kind of wait and then have the crowd wait for the two archers to be presented they walk to the line the judge stands between them and then you declare the winner
1: kind of like in uh, like a MMA fighter, like an MMA, yeah, fight. boxing. Even yeah. though if if one guy gets knocked out, everybody knows who won. They still have to raise the other they guy's still, hand. Yeah,
0: so they go through the ceremony, right? I called the wrong guy. Whoops! Man, did I feel bad? I felt like an idiot, which kind of <laughs> I was, but I'd never screwed up like that before in public. So, oh so I, it's humbling. <laughs> I'm sure you know
1: the million or so people who were watching on TV and you know the thousands that were there watching live, I'm sure they're still thinking about it right now. I think
0: maybe there were a few <laughs> hundred people there and nobody cares. <laughs> except the except the poor sucker who I called the wrong name of. So
1: yeah, I'm sure I'm sure most you know, it is long since uh And, and even he was pretty nice mind.
0: about it too, so it all worked out. But, yeah. man, I still felt bad. All right, so you know, there there goes confessions on the Easton podcast. Yeah. I don't even know what podcast number this is. Thank goodness for Jay, who's keeping track for us. Um, thank you, uh, listeners, for all of your kind Facebook questions. We have another whole show worth of Facebook questions here, and we could we just do that. But we're going to do something a little – we're going to change things up a little bit for this particular show because, um, Steve, while you were in Mexico, and we're not going to ignore the fact that you were in Mexico and shooting a tournament with some heavy hitters, uh, we're going to talk about new products a little bit because we just had our new product introduction. Yes. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk. We're going to give you folks a sneak preview of what's coming out in 2017.
1: Yeah. Talk about a little bit of stuff. Not not a whole lot new, yeah. but. Um, but some stuff that's important, I think. Yeah. So. It's worth, worth talking so about. So we'll go there.
0: So how was Mexico? You had a big tournament. Not a big tournament, but one that's no, maybe yeah. up and coming?
1: Um, yeah, they're trying to get it off the ground. So um, it's been, it's the third edition, but uh, the first edition was like. 25 years ago so so i went to the, the the second edition last year and shot it and um then yeah they invited me to come again this This year. is an indoor shoot yeah it's indoor which they don't shoot a lot of indoor in mexico because it's uh why would you it's nice weather yeah, it's, generally it's yeah we were there i mean it was 80 degrees and no wind you know
0: so why are you yeah. shooting indoors because obviously they're getting ready for <laughs> yeah. places like vegas
1: yeah and I, i'm i think it's cool they need to kick off like an indoor circuit there you know some some type of it because one you don't find indoor ranges um so they don't participate a lot in it and and two yeah like you said the weather is so nice most of them practice indoor archery outside so um you know just for the the growth of the sport and because um you know indoor offers something completely different from outdoor you know if you look at the the games the formats um, and some of the top shooters you know you see you see some top shooters in indoor who completely disappear outdoor and you know maybe maybe mexico has uh, some potential to produce some some good indoor shooters who knows
0: that's an interesting thought because, you know, in some countries they have the luxury of having enough really good shooters that they can be specialists in one particular category like mm-hmm. France. Yeah. France has that going on with indoor and with uh, also with field. Yeah, Italy, they've got some of the same. Yeah. Yep. So that's pretty cool. You had some other uh, great shooters there besides yourself and yep. your wife, Linda.
1: Yeah, so uh, Mike Schlosser was there, Stefan Hansen was there, um, and then, you know, some of the, the Mexican national team members were there, so...
0: Any was, recurve shooters there too?
1: Um yeah, d- just uh just the Mexican
0: team members. So So guys like Luis and y-
1: Yeah, uh, no, he wasn't there. Uh-huh. Um you know, you had uh, Renee and uh Aida were there, you, know, okay. you know, and they shot and uh Gabby who uh, that that's that's a connection for Mike Schlosser, Mike Schlosser's girlfriend Gabby.
0: Ah, uh, there's a trend going on yeah, here. Yeah, so I see. All right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's really good. I mean man, that's tough. Long dis I can tell you from personal experience, long distance relationships are not easy.
1: Yeah. Relationships aren't easy, but you know, <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and the distance does not help, but Hey, yeah. that sounds cool. So
1: there's a, there's a little you started trend. A trend didn't yes, you? I did. I set the trend and, um, yeah, Stefan is obviously dating Aida. So, you know, Linda put it nicely. She said to the organizers, you can thank us Mexican women because we helped, uh, know get some of the the top ranked shooters in the world at your tournament well that's fact which otherwise they wouldn't have yeah we're not going to travel there you know for
0: it's completely understandable for, by yeah, the way for, I, uh, I, i'm not going to blame any of those guys for <laughs> for that all right pretty cool so
1: yeah it was it was fun um yeah stefan ended up beating me in a shoot off in the semis and mikey in a shoot off in the finals so he won mikey second and i was third um linda won uh Gabby beat Aida and uh Ernesto Boardman uh
0: beat Renee. he's definitely an up-and-coming guy Ernesto yep yep solid shooter all right so sounds like it was a productive trip down to Mexico who won uh Stefan Stefan won yeah so
1: yeah it was it was it's a good way to kick off indoor season you know hadn't been shooting a ton still kind of adjusting to a new bow and um
0: you're shooting the Hoyt Prevail the
1: Prevail 40 yep so figuring out what I like on that and and it was it was good I like I like shooting in a competitive environment um so you know we came out and and I wanted to treat it like a, a practice round in a competitive environment sure so I came out uh first half shot a, a 299 feet so 29x it was it was a great score um uh, Tried some different things on the second half and it did not go so well. So, you know, made a few adjustments, but um, faded faded to third <laughs> at that point. That's still pretty good. Yeah, and it was it was fine. For it, a know. brand new bow out of the box. Right. And that's a tournament where it's rare you get a tournament where you can uh, be afforded the, the luxury of testing during the it's, tournament. I'm
0: going to blindside you here. Uh, it's archery silly season. Contracts are up at the end of next month.
1: Oh, uh, a lot of them are up now. Yeah. yeah. So
0: any any big – Shifts, any big changes in who's shooting what bows?
1: Um, You know, you you hear about... We know about rumors. Yeah, some rumors. Any any confirmed stuff? um, You know, Alex Wiffler, who... uh, He's shooting Matthews? Yeah, he won Vegas a couple years ago. He's going to shoot a PSE. um, You know, a few other guys moving around, but...
0: Mm, Well, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of one of those dance with who brung you kind of guys, so...
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe if the people who brung you don't want to dance with you anymore. That could be. Yeah. You know, because as the rumors may be, they're clearing some space for some other folk.
0: Talking about Matthews? Yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard of what other folk.
1: Yeah, I mean, so. I can just, I could just bear all, but I'll let these people have their moment. Let the them sun. have <laughs> their
0: moment in the sun because the rumor mill is going to be, there's going to be more than enough of that buzz going on when certain yeah. people move back to certain places and whatnot. Yeah. yeah so.
1: And it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I saw some comments on it the other day and, and uh, a lot of people, will say certain things you know like oh he just he did it for the money or this and that and and that there will be people who will do it and i'm sure that's part of it absolutely you know but if you uh it's you know just like painting with a broad brush yeah there are going to be some people who move for money but there are also going to be some people who stay put because they're comfortable with the company they're with um you know comfortable with the bow whatever because you know knowing myself and having close friends in this industry who you know have opportunities as well i know i know a good number of them have had some opportunities with you know i'll say newcomers to the uh to the bow manufacturing circuit and they've stayed put because they're
0: i don't know you know i don't think it's a big secret that it's been a down market for some of the manufacturers we've we've been quite lucky uh we've done quite well but my understanding is it's been down market for much of the industry this year, so yeah, the yeah. fact that those opportunities still exist in a substantial way are, are pretty good.
1: You know, if you're if you're uh, basing you know prior year markets, going back to 2012, that was probably the boom of the industry, um, thanks to our friend Jay Law, maybe, maybe, yeah, I mean, uh, so, absolutely part <laughs> you know, of that, and, yeah, part of that. You know,
0: I, I, you know, and and you know, besides the. Phenomenon that was kind of created by the Hunger Games and the attempt to capitalize on that by some aspects of the archery industry, which kind of squandered that opportunity to a degree, in my opinion. But that's a separate issue. Mm-hmm. I think that um, just like every other time that archery's had a boom, we're we're seeing residual growth. You know, isn't that the rate that it was when you had 200 kids waiting to shoot yeah. certain Joe Ad programs in a you know in a place like Chicago? But you know, you've got uh, pretty substantial... Let me put it this way. The uh, the sieve has pulled out the people that wanted to stay. And yeah. and they're in it now. I look
1: at it as, you know, when there's a... You called it a boom. I'll call it the bubble. When the bubble pops, you hope you're above, you know, the spot you were at. Bubble's are right prior. Yeah, Bubble's right. Yeah, because it's... Uh, if, if anyone forecasted business off of those huge years
0: they're a little bit crazy some people might have we didn't but for sure some people might have done. yeah
1: you got to assume it is a bubble and it's not all gonna remain so yeah as you said there's
0: some residual that that did stick around international target archery though has been very strong
1: yeah and um you know it's been consistent whereas in the u.s with those uh you know people coming in and quickly moving back out of the yeah. sport. Yeah, that's a big, it's big a little,
0: ebb and flow kind of thing going on. Yeah,
1: I don't think you're having a hard time getting, a, you know, a $70 wood recurve right now, which, you know, in 2012. Yeah, you couldn't find one for love or money. Hard come by, yeah. yeah. All
0: right. Um, hey. we,
1: had, we had no intentions of talking about that stuff.
0: No, but we never walk in here with an intention of talking about anything. It's always off the cuff, so what the heck. <laughs> I mean, so far we've survived. Nobody has shut us down yet. could happen, but. All right. Hey, um, I'm looking at the 2017 catalog right here. Yes. And we're just going to stick to mostly target stuff here, but uh, there's some cool hunting stuff coming up this year too. Yeah, you've been working hard on some stabilizers and some other things. Well, we, what we did was we took what we learned on target stabilizers and applied it to the hunting market, which is often the way things go here at Easton. You know, we we take the stuff that works well for target archery and and figure out ways to make it work to make bow hunters more effective. So. Yep, nothing wrong with that.
1: That was always, you know, when I was at Hoyt, that was kind of uh, part of the plan. You know, the the target world is your your testing, improving grounds, your racetrack, and then you incorporate it into hunting. Sometimes that that uh, reverses suit, though. You know. Yeah. You, so you yeah, that's true. Stuff there.
0: Yeah. In fact, we got one product we're going to talk about that does go from the other direction. So that'll be kind of cool. Um, so looking at the catalog, which by the way is available online now, I gather. Ah. Uh, so that's what I'm hearing. Um, we have a new size of Pro Tour, which we've talked about before. Yep. Which is the 340, the same one you won the world championship with. Correct. Uh, but we've also introduced a 140 grain tungsten point to go with, honestly, to go with the guys like you who are shooting the full length Pro Tours, who are shooting the heavier point weight, um, getting the FOC uh, to where you want it to be, you know.
1: Where some want it to be, yeah. Especially, well,
0: <laughs> especially for 50 meters, but... Um, yeah. I'm trying to get ahead of the fact that some people are going to be like, um, how come the catalog is only showing the 140 grain point for the Pro Tour? Because yeah, it's it, it, not listed under the X10. It's not, and it will fit an X10, but I'm not recommending it for an X10. Yeah. And and I'll tell you why. You worked with a lot of guys on this. So. Yeah, we did a lot of work. Uh, you did a lot of work as well over the past year to qualify this product, um, this 140 grain point I'm talking about. and. What we found was, for some shooters, especially right out of the box, it was working pretty well until they got into competition and under pressure uh, unforgiving scenario developed at 70 meters with recurve shooters. Give you an example. Uh, Takaharu Furukawa from Japan, the Olympic silver medalist of 2012, top eight finisher at Rio. Uh, He shot these extensively for a period of time and had really good scores with them. I mean, you know, really good scores in practice. And get to tournaments and he'd get arrows dropping out the bottom of the group and he didn't understand why and we figured it out and long story short um when you're shooting 70 meters um the heavier point isn't doing you favors i'll just leave it at that and so that's why we're not indicating it just as,
1: slowing the arrow down too much well or? what's
0: happening is the it's causing the arrow to tip over at a particular point in the flight path and then you're I'll simplify this. You're getting air pressure on the arrow opposite of what it is doing while it's launched. The arrow is actually generating a little bit of lift, Mm -hmm. about 10 inches effective lift over the flight path of the arrow. When it tips over too soon, it actually takes a dive. And if you have a little bit of finger pressure variation, it can, Uh, yeah. So that's why we're not recommending the heavy point. Now, everybody in Rio that won a medal was shooting a tungsten point an eastern tungsten point in an X-10, and nobody was shooting more than 120 grains. Only a couple of the medalists shot 120. Almost everybody was shooting 100 grains. Yeah, most. So, you know, that, that speaks to the fact that it's a time-proven thing, that 100-grain broken-down tungsten point, or, you know, obviously the stainless steel point at 100 grains to 120 grains is, is the way to go.
1: Yeah, and, I've and had some shooters ask uh, about doing a, an 80 to 100-grain tungsten point. Sure. You know, they thought, well, if 100 works well, why not test 90?
0: Nothing wrong with, with testing yeah, stuff, So, right? And fortunately, they can do that, but, you know, that involves a grinder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So. But that, that goes to show, you know, most of these guys aren't thinking about going heavy. No. They're, they're thinking about sticking around the 100 grains.
0: No, and, you know, there's other companies out there that have brought out 150-grain tungsten points. It hasn't worked but the 140 is for a very specific scenario it's for a guy like you shooting a full-length heavy arrow you know like a pro tour 50 meters compound velocities and maybe you've got a wrap on the back of the arrow. and maybe you've got some flex fletch on there which weighs a little more now you've got a competitive foc yeah
1: i haven't uh i haven't changed from
0: 120 still shooting 120 but it's nice to have the option yeah yeah somebody somebody will profit from this somebody will benefit from it
1: yeah and it's uh something i'm going to work with next year i i I think a little more may be nice and we haven't
0: made any changes to the uh to the time tested 120 grain points just that the 140 is now an option it's available for the pro tour so uh let's see no changes to the ace or the acg or for the acc for the carbon one i'm kind of excited i'm i'm You know, we've we've been working hard to try to make sure that uh, we fulfill one of our expectations in the company, which is to provide for the legacy of the sport. What does that mean? It means making sure, among other things, that we have customers for life. And the best way to do that is to start them out early and to give them a a very good, satisfying experience when you start out. And so what we've gone and done is gone and designed a series of arrows for youth or beginners, that start out at a spine value of 1400 all the way down to 2000 and these are very lightweight but super strong wrapped carbon arrows in the carbon one line they're in a 1400 a 1600 an 1800 and a 2000 from 4.2 down to 3.4 grains per inch now these have the same super tight tolerances as the carbon one they'll take ACE or carbon one components pin knock system where the g-knock is a direct fit and so there's a great option there for beginners youth shooters people with shorter draws adults shooting really lightweight and shorter draws to uh be able to benefit from this and uh you know japan is a good example of a place like that where you've got people shooting with shorter draws who need you know that that level of uh spine value available um, for the Apollo and for the Inspire line, kind of going down range in terms of price, the same spine values are now available. So for the Apollo, we've got those four new sizes, and also for the Inspire. And the Inspires are super affordable. They're cheaper than an aluminum arrow. So, so that should work really well for those coaches out there who are looking for a solution for a Joad shooter who wants to reach 50 meters, for example, and, and actually have the arrow stick in the target.
1: Right. Very lightweight. Uh, you know, what's the... Like, say, on the 1600, I'm seeing here 3.8 grains per inch. Yeah, so.
0: so it's going to work really well out of a lighter weight recurve bow. Heck, even some compound, you know, really lightweight compound shooters might be able to benefit from something like this. So. And,
1: and those will take either a, a G-knock, so you can do a push-in knock, or you could do a, an ACE pin adapter, 70-grain, mm-hmm. um, one-piece point available for it. But you could, if you wanted. Different if you points, wanted to have you your point, you can go
0: to an ACE point. ACE points, yep. Yep, those will work. So, you know, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure about the outer diameter, how it would fit. It might be a little shoulder on some of the yeah. sizes, um, but it'll still work just fine. Yep. So I'm kind of excited by, we, we alluded to this earlier, we've got a new product that kind of comes from the bow hunting space and comes back into the target archery space. And uh, that is our new FMJ 4mm match arrow which is a super precise, full metal jacketed carbon arrow that is basically using the synergy of a carbon core and an aluminum jacket. And this is great for people who are shooting in a Stramit or straw like Edgerton targets. I don't think there's any Saunders targets still out there, but that that kind of target, you know, that that super abrasive, really tough material, Mm -hmm. these kinds of uh, arrows are really well suited to that. The guys in Oz, you know, that, that are on the uh, coast there shooting the sheep wool targets, those things will will wear the carbon off an arrow within a year. Yeah. And these things are almost tailor-made for that.
1: Yeah, I've seen some of that out of, uh, you know, the Stramit stuff where, you know, the arrow is fine, but you can almost, you, you can le- legitimately see where it looks like someone sanded the the front portion of yeah. it, you know, just over time. It, yeah, with any It carbon just wears out. carbon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So.
0: Or you lose grain weight off the, off the arrows, mm-hmm. so you need to rotate them. You know, so you need to make sure you shoot all the arrows in your dozen or, or archer's dozen. Right. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you have any dozen yeah. arrows, yeah. we all know what happens. <laughs> so the new FMJ match will take the uh, Carbon 1 points, and it'll handle the, uh, the G-Knock or also Carbon the, uh, the Carbon 1 pin. Um, so that is also very affordable. That's kind of a nice thing. So it's in a very good price point, kind of ACG ish. Extremely straight. Uh, oh yeah, the straightness on these yeah. is killer. So the the ability to
1: build those FMJ arrows is is pretty. Uh,
0: yeah, we make them right here in Salt Lake yeah. City, and uh, we have full control over every part of that process, like we do the, all of our other arrows. So. Yeah,
1: pretty high quality.
0: So I'm really happy those. to see that we're you know that we're taking that technology that we developed that's been so successful for for bow hunters and applying it again because some of you remember we did the. Uh, We did a version of this back in the day, but we've got more sizes of this product now, and it's actually much better than the old FMJ Navigator that was done back in 2008-ish. Contour CS side rods are available now um, by popular demand to go with the Contour CS long rod that's proven to be so popular with the uh, compound uh, folks. And then we've got a new stabilizer that we're going to introduce after January, which is a very affordable all-carbon stabilizer called a MicroFlex which is uh, pretty stiff, not as stiff as a Z-Flex. It's a little stiffer than an AC Pro. It's uh, made to be pretty affordable, and it has some bold new graphics and colors. Yeah, so.
1: the, the pricing on that's killer. I mean, yeah. we I don't like to quote pricing because, you know, what your, number one, we don't set the pricing, your dealer does. Right. And it's gonna be different depending on where you're All I'm saying is it's, it's a very show.
0: affordable stabilizer. Very affordable. For something with an Easton yeah, logo. It, it's. So. Uh,
1: it's an ideal for you know beginners in recurve uh beginners in compound you know someone someone not shooting a bunch of stabilizer weight but you know you want to introduce them into a a fully stabilized bow
0: yeah i hate to say this but the fact is it's actually just as good as some of the top line stabilizers that some other companies are selling right now so no doubt yeah it it really is in
1: terms of stiffness yeah yeah so
0: it's actually really good and, and it looks great too so um Clint's been hard at work and um, you know, he's developed a whole new line of, of uh, bow cases. And uh, you know, he's really done a great job with some of that. It's mostly in the compound space. Um, we've got some new colors of the, of the deluxe field quiver and the hip quiver. Uh, the deluxe model is the cloth based one as opposed to the, the pleather elite field quiver and the elite <laughs> hip quiver, um, which is a, a really nice teal color and a kind of gaudy green. So, if you like, if you like eye searing green or a nice, pleasant teal, those are available in uh, in all of the cloth model quivers. In fact, uh, except for the range light, and then um, you know the the uh, World Cup is the new bow case. It's a forty-five, seventeen, so that'll handle lots of different bows. And there's another model called the Workhorse, which is for slightly shorter bows. And you can see all those at your Easton dealer soon. So that. Pretty much sums it up. I mean, the uh, you know for the recurve space, we still have the elite recurve backpack with the full frame and the deluxe recurve backpack, which is super popular, and a bunch of other stuff. You can go online to eastnarchery.com and see this stuff really soon if you haven't already. So
1: the uh, tech traveler backpack—that's the one I've been using uh, just for all my flights last year. So, you know, actually this weekend, I think was like my 81st Delta
0: flight of the year. Oh, congratulations, Mr. (laughs) Platinum here. Yeah, Diamond. Diamond, Diamond. sorry.
1: (laughs) But, uh, you know, when I looked at, I don't know that people care about backpacks, but, you know, this is something I, it's near and dear to me. And when I looked at it initially, you know, Clint gave me one like January or February and I I didn't bother switching everything out of my current backpack and putting it in that one, but... Just because it looks small. But, man, you can just keep packing no, stuff in it's there. It's really good. Yeah, the whole thing folds open so you don't have to take your laptop out. You just fold it open. It's uh, it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. So um, it seems to me, yeah, the, the trouble with a backpack like that, though, is you, you keep loading it with stuff, and it, suddenly it weighs like, I don't know, 18 pounds yeah, or something. Or,
1: or more, yeah.
0: I, I notice people complain about the recurve backpacks everybody's recurve they are like yeah this thing's getting to be too heavy and it's like well whose fault is that you keep on jamming your stuff You just in keep there. putting more stuff in there it's you know all right so i get that I, I totally get that i understand it but i was able to go to japan for 10 days with like one bag cool. and uh, you know that uh, that maxpedition doppelganger whatever they call it the that, I,
1: I have no idea what you're talking about okay
0: basically it's a backpack Okay, and and that's how I I went what, through uh, Japan with.
1: What's a doppel a doppelganger? Is a person who you look like?
0: Yeah, well, this is a Maxpedition backpack that it's called a flugenduffel or something like that. Right, it's a flight <laughs> duffel. But it fits in the overhead. Okay. All right. Anyway, I was proud that I went through Japan for ten days, one bag with one bag. Yeah, there was laundry involved, but still. Uh, All right. Uh, on to the Facebook question. Did you do the laundry yourself? No, or, I. Or? I that's what hotels are for. <laughs> I have these ex-officio shirts, and the advertising campaign for these ex-officio shirts is, you know, 53 countries, two weeks, one shirt, or some BS like that. No That's thanks. Like, no thank you. No, especially not in Japan where people are sensitive to people who smell bad. So Everywhere. Everywhere.
1: People should always be sensitive
0: to exactly. who smell bad. I, you know me. I, I'm one of those people who takes three showers a day. I hate I hate that. Yeah, i am just got that clean fetish thing going on. I don't know what the deal is. It doesn't matter. Anyways, the point is, (laughs) 10 days, one bag. I was proud of myself. We have lost all of our listeners. There is a problem, though. There was a problem. So, you know, I was going around and and meeting with friends, and and everybody in Japan is so nice, and they always have a little gift for you. Mm. Let's just say I had to buy another bag (laughs) before I left Japan. To get home. To get home. So, that's a good problem.
1: I've been known to, uh, you know, say I go somewhere where I know there could be some acquisitions involved, whether it's shopping or, or whatever. I've been known to pack a duffel in my bag. You know,
0: company. If I had thought it yeah. had, I would have done just that, but I didn't. So. All So, right, on to the Facebook questions, um, and we've got a, a slew of them. Thank you. Chocolate chip or Oreos from Rodney Chambers? I saw that. Yeah, well, yeah. the correct answer is Tim Tams. Which is an Australian thing
1: you all you said the correct answer is always Tim Tams it is
0: because no matter what you say Tim Tams are better than you list the cookie I've never had them you got to get to Australia I'll have to get to Australia well I've seen them elsewhere I can't remember where anyways um, yeah Tim Tams and beer that's that's the big Australian thing so all right all our friends in Australia are just going Whoa. Uh, hello George and Steve from Roy Tanimoto George, I go to Japan maybe once or twice a year to visit friends and was wondering if you knew where would be the best place to go to see some archery centers or to see Japanese archers shoot. Um, And then he's got a question for you. I'll tackle this first part of the question. So, uh, Roy, the problem in Japan is that there aren't very many public spaces where top shooters practice. There are two places in Japan that are used by top shooters. One of them is basically the range at Kindai University in uh, Osaka on the, uh, almost Nara, and you can go there and, y- you know, you can you can go to the appropriate subway station and you can, and I'll answer this on your Facebook uh, question here, I'll tell you where to go, but the Kindai University is where a lot of shooters come from and, um, you know, guys like Furukawa and uh, Kawori Kawanaka and uh, Ayano uh, Kato from, uh, you know, who was a top qualifier at Nationals, and a long list of shooters that came out of Kindai University which used to be known as Kinky University until they changed their name because they realized that calling themselves Kinki University before the Olympic Games is just going to cause all kinds of problems with journalists from overseas. True story.
1: <laughs> Good idea.
0: Yeah. So it's now Kindai University which Kindai is actually a contraction for Kinky. Kinki Daigaku. Kindai. So it's actually almost like saying Kinky University University. Kindai University mm. is... Yeah, never mind. Anyways, so, Roy, the problem is the other place where they shoot is the National Training Center, uh, which is the Aijunomoto, uh field. Uh, they're building a new one, by the way, and that's in Tokyo uh, on the Saitama line, on the JR uh, Saitama line. And it is, again, that's a closed facility. You can't just walk in there and watch Yuki Hayashi shoot like I was able to, unless you're already arranged for So. It's unfortunate. And the, the other bad thing is that they've closed, or they're, they're about to close uh, Tsumagoi, which is where the nationals have been shot for many, many years and also the uh, lots of other events. And so the uh, Tsumagoi Resort is in Kakagawa, and it was owned by Yamaha, and Yamaha is getting ready to close that, unfortunately. This is thousands of acres, Steve, of rolling you know, woodland and jungle, and, and it's the best equestrian and the best archery uh, facility in Japan, and unfortunately, the Yamaha's just the economics of it are just overwhelming, and they're closing. So that's a shame, but uh, that's the deal there. So actually, no, Roy, there's really not too many places to go see some archery centers or see the Japanese archers shoot, unless you're in Tokyo. If you go to Tokyo, uh, there are twenty-something municipal archery ranges, and if you're lucky, you'll be able to see somebody there. The other ones to check in with would be our friends at Shibuya Archery in Tokyo. They could give you some advice on that next time you're there. Make sure that you... Uh, it's in Shinjuku, not not in Shibuya District. And uh, go visit the folks at Shibuya. Uh The next question from Roy here is for you, Steve. Uh, he's going to Vegas for the first time. And uh, I don't have a lot of experience building indoor arrows. Please explain to me your process for building and tuning indoor arrows. Now, Roy has a 26 inch draw, and he's pulling 58 to 60 pounds.
1: Um, well, there's... there's uh very few people who venture outside of of the norms with indoor arrows so I would say the norms would be you know a 2315 with 160 180 or 200 grain points and for you cut to probably 29 to 31 inches in length somewhere in there um, or a 2712 uh, probably cut no shorter than 31 um, but you know usually between 31 32 and a half inches. Uh, 250 or 300 grain point for most people so um, either one of those is going to be a really good starting point I, I've never really had to work that hard to get either uh, the 2315 or the 2712 to shoot well uh, your draw length the 2712 may be uh, a bit of a challenge but there's certainly plenty of people who are doing it and it, at 58 to 60 pounds you you'll uh, you'll have a better time than, you know, say a lot of, uh, top level women shooters who are, are shooting, you know, anywhere from 25 to 27 inch draw and, and closer to 50 pounds. They usually have a really difficult time getting 27s to shoot. They end up going to the 23s. Um, so either one of those, uh, my suggestion would be, um, start long, cut short as necessary, but um, somewhere in those ranges I gave you, you'll find a setup that works.
0: I'm going to go ahead and, and jump ahead to a question from David Keo, uh, who's asking, "Can Steve talk about how he set up his new bow, and what arrows he's shooting with it? Did he get new arrows for the bow? Walk us through what goes through his mind when getting a new bow? Now that you're on a roll about indoor." Yeah.
1: So for me, first thing with a new bow, um, far ahead of getting an arrow to fly well, I want to have the bow feel well, you know, feel right for me. So um, I'm gonna you know get the strings that I use and build it up with that um, and then from there I'm looking to get the draw length correct and the holding weight correct um, you know on my new prevail from Hoyt there's some uh, adjustability with the draw stop peg and the cam so I've been messing a lot with that um, you know there's an outer and there's an inner position um, changes the feel of the wall it doesn't change holding weight necessarily but it does change the feel of the wall um, and then i can also change the material of that peg so i right now it's got the standard hard material i can go to a, a rubber material to make it you know feel a little bit and those are color-coded uh they're they're not but uh it's pretty obvious what's what you know when you feel them you just
0: dig your nail into it and you yeah
1: it. yeah the one is is definitely made of rubber the other one's kind of a hard plastic type feel so gotcha uh, that's what i'm going to do first and foremost you know is uh get that stuff feeling right, um, make sure peep height is set correctly. A lot of people will fight and fight and fight a bow only to realize, you know, maybe they need to lower their peep a little bit. And I think uh, something that creates a very loose aim is a peep that's too high. And I see it more and more. You get guys going really high on the peep side. I don't I don't know why, and I don't know
0: if they know why. Um, causes a loose anchor, huh?
1: Yeah, it gets pretty loose. I like to look at guys like, uh, you know, Kevin Wilkie and John Dudley. They kind of they have that high and tight anchor. And really, that's uh, always been something that I try to make sure I'm, I'm keeping consistent. Uh, uh, that low anchor and the high peep just really, really makes it hard for me to aim. So, okay.
0: something I, I – pay close attention to so make the bow feel right and then work on tuning right exactly from Got there
1: yeah you can work on on tuning the bow you know a little poundage change here or there you can
0: have a perfect tune but if the bow doesn't fit you right or you don't feel comfortable with it at full draw then it's just not going to work
1: yeah it, far and away rather have a bow that i can shoot and execute well because you don't really need that great of a tune to get to shoot a great score uh, but you do need to have the ability to hold it in the middle and execute it
0: absolutely know? JW Pisevsky uh, asks in a previous podcast you mentioned an etched lens. He'd like to know what lens manufacturer does this for you, and if it's offered to the public.
1: Uh, yeah, FeatherVision does it. Ten dollars up,
0: Chuck. That's Chuck, right? That's Chuck Cooley. Yeah,
1: Chuck. Uh, well, no, not any longer. That oh. that
0: company. Yeah, it's been absorbed by AAE. So oh, AAE owns FeatherVision now. So, oh, cool. Yep. Good for good for both of those guys. Sterling Schroeder is curious about dry-firing a bow. As a new archer, I've been told it's bad and your bow could be damaged, but I would like an explanation of what actually happens to the bow and why having an arrow on the string negates this. Well, um, yeah, it's, sometimes it's interesting to see new people's perspective on things because you and I, it's second nature. We know this. But, right. So what's going on, Sterling, is your, your bow is an energy storage device, okay? It's, it's kind of like um, a spring. But if you just shoot the thing then the energy's gotta go somewhere. And if the energy goes directly back into the bow, it's gonna overwhelm components and make things break. That's the bottom line. You just, the reason you don't dry fire a bow is because stuff will break. It's just, it, it puts thousands of pounds of energy back into the bow that it's just not meant to handle in that short time. And uh, the arrow sucks out that energy and carries it to the target. And that's, that's the basic difference there. Um, Jed Deering asks, how do you measure the degree of offset you're putting on your fletchings? Is there a quick formula when using a Bitsenberger jig? For example, I would like to have a one and a half degree offset. Thanks for the podcast. I I don't know. I'll tell you what. Once I set set the jig where I want it so that I have the foot and tail of the vein on the arrow, Mm -hmm. normal to the surface of the arrow, Mm -hmm. I don't mess with it. So it's not so much I'm looking for a one and a half degree or whatever the degree is i'm trying to i'm trying to make that vein sit perfectly on that shaft yeah it should actually kind of suction
1: cup itself on there yeah Uh, and that's an issue a lot of people have and i had it before with uh you know vein adhesion they think oh the glue's bad or the veins are bad yeah sometimes it is it it, yeah very well can be you know um especially with uh, vein processing but what you were
0: driving at is sometimes they cause their own problem
1: right sometimes they have one edge that's Wants to peel away, and it's never going to really stick that well. So, um, I, I don't measure it. I, I guess you would just have to use like a some type of a protractor or something. I have no idea. But uh, I ended up, you know, I have two bits and burger j- jigs. One is labeled number one. The other is labeled Big Arrows. <laughs> so, makes sense to me. Yeah, they don't they don't ever change. So anything large diameter gets put in the big arrows, anything, uh, you know, X10 or, or uh, you know, up to like a 20 diameter would uh, would go in the small one. Rahafazan Juan, one. our
0: our regular listener here. Uh, between target and hunting arrows, how much development and advancement for one side have benefited the other in both ways? Just talked about that a little we bit. We did. Yeah. With the, uh, so 90% of the hunting arrows that we've developed have benefited from target archery. You know, just the
1: yeah, the... yeah, almost in a way, all of them.
0: Well, if you think back to our founder, Doug Easton, right? Everything he did was all about making an arrow more accurate, Mm -hmm. literally. Everything, whether he did forded arrows out of wood to make them more accurate, to make them more consistent, and then later worked with steel, tried to develop arrows out of different materials, you name it, and finally settled on aluminum and then worked out on his own all the processes needed to make the aluminum arrow. Uh, Everything we've done has been to try to make target archery better, and bow hunters benefit from that. So the answer is, generally, target archery develops stuff for that the, then trickles out to the rest of the market. But in the case of this FMJ technology, that was something developed specifically for bow hunting that lend its way back into yeah. target.
1: And even then, you know, you could say, well, the FMJ traces its roots back to the AC arrow, yeah, which was does. designed for target. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but in this scenario, yeah, it was a hunting product. We,
0: you know, it occurs to me that's kind of true over at Hoyt to a degree. Right. I mean, in the past, when I worked at Hoyt in the past, a lot of stuff that we did for target bows found its way onto hunting bows from the standpoint of, hey, we learned this about what the grip does and therefore it'll be better for the more critical hunting bows. Right. Yeah. So generally, um, hunters have benefited from target development because that's measurable, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that is, it's hard to argue with scores. And uh, yeah. so you know if something's better that you know, it's actually better. And that's, I think that's an important
1: Yeah, You know, and you could say, um, all carbon hunting arrows, you know, they originally came from target shafts and the Beeman line
0: and and all that. So, so anyway, uh, hope that answers that for you. Steve, Jim Padilla asks, Steve, when, if you get the yips, what's your go-to program to address the issue? Steve, you don't get the yips, do you? Uh, I probably had it
1: before. Yeah. I don't have it bad, but. You know, occasionally I'll have an issue where I, it's like the center of the target is is uh, you know a positive magnet, and I'm trying to stick a positive magnet to it, and I just yeah, you just move all around it. Um, try to soften my bow hand up, take a little bit of the tension out of that, and then and then really just slow down the thought process because it's your mind, it's your mind trying to get a shot to fire as soon as you see that you're on or near the middle. so
0: And pulling the pallet of bricks like you've alluded to in the past. Yeah,
1: so I want to just get to get to the middle and try to settle there. Don't feel like I have to fire the shot. Rel- literally just turn into uh, aim and wait, you know, instead of instead of so much uh, trying to execute the shot, which is, is really what we should be doing anyways, is kind of aiming and, and, and just waiting and subconsciously executing. But uh, you, you can, you know... You can have a great day of shooting where it feels like you know the release is just really working you're you're holding middle and everything's cutting loose uh come back the next day and you know it it may not be the same you you get to the middle and and stuff doesn't want to fire so then you're forcing it and and, uh, it it goes haywire so um you know i've experienced that during competition and what i just mentioned you know just trying to slow down my mind that's kind of what i do in competition Um, On the rare occasion I do practice if I were to have an issue like that it it would probably just be uh just be best literally to blank bail which I I started doing just a little bit this year um, just to work on on feeling the the mechanics of the release and just feeling the bow push away from me um you know if you're really struggling I would say pin up a target at like five yards and just get comfortable aiming at the center.
0: Slightly related question from Paul Kelly. What scope magnification do most of the pros use when shooting spots indoors and out?
1: I would say most pros are using... um, It's going to be between four and six power. Most are
0: using... And again, remember that the power is just one factor in the actual magnification. The distance from that scope matters too. Right. So it's actually the diopter that drives the power.
1: So most... uh, outdoors are probably shooting four or five i I don't know anyone who shoots a six Um, and then indoors most are shooting probably five or six um you know personally i do five outdoors six indoors
0: and you get a fuzzy image with that yep and you live with that fuzzy image because you don't want to see all the holes in target necessarily
1: yeah indoors i with the six power i do use a clarifier because you're indoors you're not turning you're not you don't have yeah. to worry about the
0: light changing on you or the rain hopefully <laughs> buggering up the clarifier yeah
1: it can happen but yeah you know we saw snow indoor in telford remember that i wasn't there in telford
0: Uh
1: uh-uh. oh well yeah um we had a blackout and then or something like that and then hail started coming through the roof so like through the roof through the roof wow yeah so a right. few well, gaps in their roof there gotta love telford. that gbr weather yeah
0: all right um question from rodney chambers what is your peep lens preference for vegas and will you use a fiber pin or spot
1: um i don't know the diameter of the peep i assume it's like a a uh it it can't be any larger than 3 sixteenths, um and then like i said i use a, a six power with a with a dot on it
0: caleb eastman is asking, is it better to switch to fat arrows during indoor season with a recurve? And how much of a difference do line cutters really make? I'll tackle this one and I'll get your opinion. Every world record is held with a carbon arrow in a well tuned situation. Well tuned is the key here. Um, if you need to switch to an indoor fat shaft to catch lines, you know, the, the uh, arrogant George would say, you should shoot them in the middle. <laughs> but uh, for the average shooter, that's not <laughs> that's not easy. So, some average shooters out there probably can benefit from shooting, uh, you know, a, a appropriately sized aluminum arrow. You'll catch a few liners. Yeah, I wouldn't go straight to twenty three. Uh uh No, that's why I was. That's why I said the words appropriately sized, because for most recreational recurve shooters who would have this question on their mind, they they need to shoot the right size arrow. That's going to get them more points than than a fat arrow that's too stiff but you know what you're seeing more and more of is guys like say Brady you know and I'm not suggesting that you need to do what Brady does but there's something to be said for keeping the consistent setup and not chasing tune and moving from outdoors to indoors with something you're already used to as long as it's well tuned you may find your scores are superior with the properly tuned outdoor arrow so that's my opinion
1: yeah I think um yeah, you know, both the men's and women's recurve indoor world records, one is ACE, the other one's uh, an X10. That's so, correct. Yeah.
0: I, I think uh but you know, obviously we're talking about I think Michaela Frangilli set that men's X10 uh, ACE record and I mean, you know, who's who is who else is Michaeli Frangilli, right? There aren't that many folks out there that met that le- level, you know. And then you've got a similar situation with the Korean archer, The name escapes me real briefly here, I'm sorry. But um, you know the the lady that, that set yeah. the uh, world record indoors. And yeah, last year. Yeah, and so you know with the X10, and um, you know again, you know we're not Korean archers necessarily. We're 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 happy if we have a 285 in Vegas. Some of us, right? And so if you're happy with a 285 in Vegas, yeah, hey, maybe an aluminum arrow is the best thing to do. But don't go chasing the 27 Jake Kaminsky route. You know that, that's just nuts. Shoot the right sized arrow. Mm-hmm. No, no criticism intended of Jake. He can make that work. Most people can't. All right. Um, so hopefully that helps you, Caleb, with that one. Um, Matt Witkowski, why should I choose left wing over right hand helical for compound bows, mostly three door and indoor three D and indoor tournaments? Right-handed shooter. If you are a right-handed shooter, you actually, in theory, want left helical, right? Or, yeah, or left you, offset.
1: Yeah, it gives you a little more clearance over the. On cables,
0: cables. yeah, and over your uh, index finger. Yeah, your your knuckle.
1: Yep. So that's the opposite if you're
0: left-handed, I presume. Yes. So there you go.
1: Yep. Just turns that shaft a little bit, um, and uh, yeah, you 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 just lift the nine o'clock feather or vein up slightly, and you know, obviously turns the other ones as well.
0: We touched on a little aspect of this question from Jeff Jenkins earlier in the show when we talked about some of the new products, but. I'm going to bring this up because I think that this is the time of year when the website's half broken. And so, you know, he's saying, uh, hello, locos. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at the Easton website, and I see info on your Contour CS front stabilizer, but I can't find any info on V-bars, side offset bars. Does Easton sell such products? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, am I just blind and not seeing the product info on these? Here's where I'm looking, and he, you know, he tells me where he's looking. I don't think it's his problem. I think um, the website's kind of in flux right now. There's some stuff being changed on it as we speak. Mm-hmm. And so for the next few days, uh, two, three days, I think you're gonna see some of that going on as this is recorded on Wednesday the 2nd. So um, hopefully that'll help you out, Jeff. Sorry for that uh, stuff. Meanwhile, look around, just do a Google search for Easton 2017 PDF, and you should be able to find the catalog. Uh, let's see here, I think we've got time for one more. Pick
1: one out? Yeah, we got a good one at the bottom Go from ahead. Uh, Shannon Turner. She says, "I've seen some testing to indicate that with two arrows of the same weight, but different FOCs, that the higher FOC arrow has more penetration." Has Ethan done any testing in this area to confirm or debunk this theory? Well, okay. So if you got two four hundred grain arrows, one utilizes a hundred grain point, the other one one hundred twenty five grain point.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the problem with that kind of thing: the spine, the dynamic spine of those arrows, is not going to be the same well say they say they are okay in theory and the same weight same weight okay so now you're getting into theory so let's say as the, a practical we, matter yeah. <laughs> as a practical matter there's not enough difference to worry about as a as a function of testing depending on the tune the arrow that has the stiffer reaction is going to go in straighter and penetrate a little deeper So it's not just FOC, it's how the arrow's tuning. Right. So now I know, you know, that in bow hunting circles lately, it's become kind of a fad to try to up FOC. There's nothing wrong with that, but what you're really benefiting from isn't the extra FOC, it's the extra mass. Heavy arrow will always trump a light Mm -hmm. arrow for penetration, always. Yep. I remember years ago I built Chuck Adams, some specialized ACC's for the purpose of a hunt in Zimbabwe that required a minimum 1,000 grain arrow for whatever species. I think it was elephant. That Chuck was a going was going to go hunt. So I built him some ACCs, and then I took some uh, point stock for hyperspeed arrows. Back then, you know, the point stock is the the point that attaches to the nib head. So I took a full length of that and stuck that in the arrow. And then when Chuck, yeah, and and that thing. All right. So back then in the lab in Van Nuys, our one of our test targets was a I don't remember the brand, but it was one of these targets that looks about like a tombstone and it was made of super compressed carpet layers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was a commercially available target, super hard target. Normally, to would stop an arrow two or three inches max. I shot a regular ACC into that thing out of a 60-pound compound and then shot Chuck's arrow into the same thing. Chuck's arrow almost went out the back of the uh, target out of a 60-pound bow. Pretty so, stout, huh? Yeah, it's the weight, right? It's the it's the mass. Of course, Chuck's arrow was probably going 60 feet per second slower, but it was carrying way more energy. So, you know, bottom line is you know, momentum. It's, it's a good thing to have. And, you know, it's not necessarily so much FOC. It's just more mass. So hopefully that answers that question. What do you got coming up? Um, some local stuff.
1: You know, Getting but, ready for yeah.
0: What's the next local event? Is it the Utah Open? Or what's up in Idaho? You got one in Idaho first? Uh,
1: I got one in Idaho. First, there's one here. And I'm not making this up. It's called the Spots and Flakes Archery Tournament. I don't know. Is that at Datis? Yeah, it's at Datis. I don't know. Naturally. okay. Uh, the name, I I think I would sponsor the event if I could have naming rights. Uh-huh. Like personally, I would sponsor. The Speaking event.
0: of flakes, uh, as in snowflakes, I presume that's what they're driving. Yeah, at. I guess. Uh, it's beautiful weather here in Salt Lake City. Yeah, I'm playing golf this weekend. I I don't blame you. I'm going to get on my motorcycle because yeah. the canyons are still open. Yeah. I can I can I can go eight tenths on my sport bike up there and. Yep. As long as I wait till about noon when the roads are not cold anymore, and why not? Right. It'd be a good time. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And yep. And I need to start practicing soon too because I am going to shoot Vegas this year. I think. So, yeah, uh, World Archery has the grand opening of their Excellence Center. Yeah, you're going, right? I am, um, which is pretty cool. And that's in Lausanne, and that'll be next month, uh, early next month. So that'll be a nice event. little inside
1: uh, fun fact for you. You know, I was there when they were in the process of building this and uh, walked right through a bunch of wet paint.
0: Are your footprints still there?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming they've covered them, but, you know. Underneath all that other paint, yes, I have left my my mark on the World Archery Center in Los Did, did anybody
0: freak out when this happened? Yep,
1: yep. Some guy, don't know
0: him. Not one, Carlos.
1: No, no, no one. No one at World Archery cared. It's just <laughs> the people building it. Yeah,
0: some Swiss craftsman. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it was funny because you know, I don't remember where I was. I was lost in there or something, and I think I might have been looking for a bathroom, and. Totally lifted the yellow caution tape. It, was, it wasn't yellow caution tape though. You know, it was like blue and said something else. And it was in it was in all every language but English. Yeah. Probably. So I just lifted it up and walked right through. And this guy was started shouting and kind of had this defeated look on his face. I'm like, you'll be all right. You know, you could just repaint it. No, <laughs> it was it was literally like three steps in wet paint. Oh lordy, it wasn't that big of a deal. That's well,
0: you say that, but you know. This guy probably had to spend weeks fixing your he had to go in there with like a little tiny double o camel hair brush yeah, and it, yeah no, probably
1: it probably took him actually like three minutes
0: the hoops that w a had to go through to build this thing because of zoning ordinances yeah. and oh my word what a but it's gonna be beautiful and uh, I guess it is i mean it's you know, I'm looking forward to it
1: so it's pretty cool i uh, yeah I like it it the the sunken uh, it's sunken into the ground, Yeah, it's right? partly underground. Yeah, they can't build a building over a certain height there. Yeah. One of the hoops you were referring to. So, yeah, they did uh, – it's like half underground. and Which actually really, plays
0: to their benefit because it helps with insulation. and Right. they got a lot of natural lighting. And yep. Yeah, and it so, all
1: comes from the, you know, uh, top half of the building. So, yeah. it kind of comes in without, uh, you know, uh, like a first-level window. You know, say you're at full draw and here comes the light through there. That would kind of be – challenging for shooting they'd have to have extra blinds so it's it's uh, nice pretty substantial
0: contribution from the eastern sports development foundation going toward the f-i-d-t-a the fita development foundation which then was able to funnel that to the building of this thing because it's Hmm. there's all kinds of hoops they got to go through to do
1: i think they got a sweet deal from the city on the land or something yeah
0: i I think so too yeah well beautiful city that's the olympic city
1: yeah i right. wish uh you know i spent like two hours there that was it i wish we'd spent a little more time but
0: i've i've been lucky enough to be in lausanne quite a few times and i can tell you that i often get the question as you know from friends of ours that you know george you travel a lot steve you travel a lot are there places you'd like to live if you didn't live in the u.s mm-hmm. and that's on my short list yeah
1: I would switzerland say, is on my short list yeah switzerland singapore very livable uh, Switzerland or Singapore for me. I, yeah. I could do. I could do uh, Ireland or or a Denmark. Too. I
0: wouldn't have any trouble living in Japan, except I'm illiterate. In Japan, I can't read. <laughs> you can speak it, but you can't read it. Well, there you go. That's the problem. Okay. So, and it's questionable as to how well I can speak it. <laughs> I can speak it like a three-year-old that's been dropped on his head a few times, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I think that. Uh, i think we've answered most of the questions here so we appreciate once again all the great questions that came into our facebook page and we have a bunch of questions that came into podcast at eastontp.com, but we don't have time for all of them so i'm going to just pick one real quick here and this is from um melissa melissa is asking um she has two questions. Should recurve bows be completely pulled apart after every use and is it still recommended to not leave a bow in a car on a hot day? I'll address the first one. And by the way, our next in our next show, we'll cover all the podcasts at eastTPcom questions. Um, I, don't le- I don't leave bows where anybody can get to them. Children, cats, whatever, if they're strung up. Um, that's my policy. Uh, you know, if I've got a bow in my archery room, I've had a I've got a particular bow in my room in my archery room that has been strung it's the original the original hoyt avalon the first one mm. and it doesn't even have moving pockets it was like you know the first prototype it's been strung for 17 18 years just kind of leaning in the corner with syntactic foam limbs every once in a while i'll take the thing and weigh it and check the tiller and whatnot hasn't hasn't moved <laughs> just for kicks just for kicks <laughs>
1: I would have thought the, uh, like the string material itself would be more apt to
0: move. So, okay, I should point out that back in 1995, that bow, I'd left it at my house in Los Angeles, and when I came back from San Diego after being away for a weekend, I looked and I saw the bow was lying on the floor and the string was broken. The, the limb tip had pushed right through the loop. It was a badly made string, and it had actually cut the, cut the loop Mm-hmm. On its own. But it's been strung ever since then, 1995, and uh, hasn't budged. So, But that's not the answer. The answer is if somebody can get to it, if it can get knocked over, if it's in danger of any sort, or if you're transporting it. I don't like, you You know, just take it down. Second part of the question. Is it still recommended to not leave a bow in a car on a hot day? I wouldn't leave a bow where you wouldn't want to be. If you aren't comfortable, don't put the bow there.
1: Yeah, on the uh, compound side of things, i've done it before on
0: purpose no just to set the bow set the set the strings on a new bow for a period of time right? yeah
1: um but realistically i i don't i i wouldn't i mean yeah like you said don't don't put it where you wouldn't want to be i don't think you'll run into any issues you know like with limbs delaminating like that was the common problem back in the day uh, you, you still very well could i don't want to speak to you know something that i'm not particularly aware of and some manufacturer goes Oh yeah steve they could you know, delaminate I'll Thanks tell you a lot. we could
0: run into a problem bearings exactly bearings will leak um, They're gre- they got grease in the bearings yep. and if it gets uh, surfaces in a car can get to 150 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit very easily I just noticed that Sarah's from Australia so you know you can get to 45 degrees 50 degrees in a car very easily Sarah and so um, Melissa excuse me and so not a good idea to, uh, to leave your bow in a car it, uh, you know, those bearings
1: are, there's only about seven balls in in the belt, ball bearings on your cams. So uh, you're already stressing them considerably by point loading them. Um, and That means, you know, although there's seven balls, really about three of them have actual... Uh, the
0: load is being yeah. held when the bow's at rest.
1: Yeah, all the pressure is being held on the bottom three or of the top cam or the top three of the bottom cam. Yeah. Um, so... It's already stressed enough. The bearings are the first thing that will probably wear out on your bow you know, besides strings. Um, and yeah, leaving them in a car, that grease just heats up and, and you'll, you'll notice even on a sealed bearing, it can come out.
0: All right. So I'm gonna uh, say that you know, just don't leave your stuff in the car. And there's other good reasons not to leave your stuff in the car if you can avoid it, um, not the least of which is stuff has a tendency to go away when you leave stuff in cars. But, um, that can happen. Yeah, it's a sad thing, but it's true. So I'm recommending don't leave it in a car on a hot day. And and the definition of a hot day is if the sun is shining, even if it is uh, 12 degrees centigrade, it can get pretty hot in a car. Mm-hmm. So now that you're getting into summertime down there in Oz, springtime or you know late springtime and you know whatever, it's going to get warm. And uh, you know treat your bow like you treat if you had a child. Don't leave your child in a in a car in a you know hot weather. Yeah. Or a pet, right? Don't leave your bow there. So yeah. that's my attitude about it. Yeah, yeah. You can't you know go to the store and replace a child, but. You okay, know. I know. I didn't mean to make that analogy, but I'm just saying that.
1: No, I was actually getting at a a, a funny comic book strip I read back in the day, like when I was young, um, and I, I think maybe even my father made this joke to me about, you know, a kid asks uh, his parents. Where do babies come from? And he said, well, we got you at Sears. You know, your sister came from. Uh,
0: Montgomery from, Ward. From,
1: yeah, from JCPenney, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, well, you can replace parts and pieces. I still wouldn't uh, wouldn't do it because they are not cheap.
0: No. So
1: And, and the bearing Wait, issue. No, alone, are we still talking about bows? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> the bearing issue alone, you know, to, uh, to change bearings, unless you really know what you're doing, you can't
0: do it. You've got to basically get yourself a new set of cams or something or send, them, yeah. send the cams into the factory and have the That's what you old have to bearings do. punched yep. out and have new ones put in and they yeah. use precision equipment to put those things in. You can't just do it with a ball bean hammer.
1: Yeah, it's uh at minimum uh, you know, a hand bearing press, which good luck finding one that would, you know, work with your cams. Uh, you know, the ones over at Hoyt are pneumatic, so and they're they're basically uh have a chuck. You know, you, you chuck the cam in and puts the it's a bearing in. So all right. next podcast we've, we've will be we've gone on and on about bearings.
0: I can't bear to, to talk anymore bearings any longer. So thank you for uh, we have a ton of questions in at podcast at eastontp.com. So I promise that our next podcast, which will be early next week, we will make a priority to answer all of the questions that have rolled into podcast at eastontp.com. So thanks for for doing that, everyone. Our Facebook is Easton Target Archery or at Easton Target Archery on Facebook. Steve Anderson's Facebook is? Uh, Facebook.com slash Big Cat Archery. And your Twitter? At Steve Anderson 88. And I think that just about covers it for this episode. End of show. End of show.